Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of The Sulfuric Secrets, a horror podcast from Between Two Worlds. The Sulfuric Secrets is told over different time periods and locations as part of an overarching narrative. For those just joining us from episode three, last episode we saw Mr. Rollo meet his grisly end as he completed the ritual in the copper basement. The flayed man, or at least what remains of him, lies in wait. If you haven't already checked out episode three, please do. It is a terrifying and disturbing account of Mr. Rollo's exploits. And without a doubt, one of the scariest and most disturbing accounts as part of the Sulfuric Secret series. For now. For those who have listened to it, we'll leave those events to cool on the windowsill for a little while. In today's episode, we return to the Olsen couple in 1946 and Jack's secret little project with a very mysterious client. Episode 4 of the Sulfuric Secrets is called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Jack Olsen could not stop thinking about what Maggie had said. She had been unusually persistent about not taking this job. But Jack was not henpecked. He took what his wife said very seriously, but the decisions he made were his own, and that's that. Of all people, Jack had seen a psychic upon Maggie's insistence, a local charlatan named Madden Lumen. Jack didn't believe in any of that nonsense, and on his way to the railway line out of the state, had chosen the first sign that grabbed his attention. The psychic session was not very successful, to say the least. But there was one part that had grabbed Jack's attention. Somehow, Madame Lumen seemed to have known about Jack's project on the ocean floor. Madame Lumen must have seen his briefcase. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was probably it. Now, Jack knew about cold reading, and was a little bit curious to see just how much she'd be able to glean if he just sat there, blankly, without even saying a word. Jack felt a little bit guilty about not telling Maggie. Jack had dragged Maggie around the world on a couple of his projects. Maggie was adventurous and wouldn't hesitate to explore the country she was in by herself, which of course was unusual for women at the time. But Maggie was not a usual woman. But Maggie's eyes would truly light up when Jack would return home and talk about his projects, sometimes miles underneath the ground, 
sometimes football fields worth up in the air. Jack wouldn't just tell the stories. Sometimes he'd get into character too. Maggie would love it and laugh hysterically at that rare moment of levity that no one else got to see in Jack but her. She'd ask so many questions too. She was ravenously curious about everything in life. And what had started as just an interest in Jack and what he did during the day eventually evolved into complex discussions around Jack's engineering work. Eventually, this crystallized into Maggie challenging Jack's approach to work. And then, Jack began to crave Maggie's feedback on his work. He'd be in meetings with fools and boobs all day, and he knew that it would take a couple of back and forths with Maggie, and he'd be able to return to work the next day with the solution. That's why Jack felt so bad. He had to lie to her face and tell her he didn't know anything about this big project he was going to be taking. Now, it's very likely that Maggie didn't believe a word of what Jack was saying. She was neither a fool, and neither did she believe Jack to be one. But, with the people that Jack was dealing with, and even with Maggie's temper, it would be far safer for her to believe that he was having an affair than to reveal what he was really doing. So... Jack convinced himself that the psychic, Madame Lumen, had only worked out what Jack was doing because she had seen a couple of documents on a deep nautical engineering project poking out of his briefcase. That initial sense of relief that he got was immediately replaced by a sense of terror. If Jack's intuition was serving him right, then this was likely classified information we're talking about. It was already dangerous to share state and private sector secrets with your significant other. But it is suicide to share it with a local tarot card reader in a run-down tenement, however unintentional it was. Sitting on that train line by himself for the next six hours, Jack had a lot of time to think about just how badly he had messed this up. Are fortune tellers the type to keep secrets? Who knows? Jack began writing very carefully a letter to Maggie. This letter would have to skate the most razor-thin margin imaginable. He would have to ask Maggie to check what Madden Lumen knew as soon as possible, but without letting Maggie know exactly what she was trying to find out from her. Forty years after this point, in 1986, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration would receive secret information from a government agency. This information would allow them to build a fully operational research lab on the ocean floor of Key Largo, located in the Florida Keys Marine Sanctuary. This laboratory would be called the Aquarius Reef Base, located 20 meters below the surface of the water and able to hold six aquanauts at a time, accessed by a new technique called saturation diving, which prevents the risk of decompression sickness. 
This was an absolute revolution in marine biology. You could literally just put on a scuba suit, dive down to the ocean floor in your gear, and then live in the Aquarius space for as long as you liked. Or until the food ran out. The Aquarius reef base is still operational to the day that I'm speaking. It was handed over to the Florida International University in 2013. So where did this secret knowledge come from? Well, there was another secret underwater base near Key Largo built in the early 1940s. Standing against this secret base, the 1986 Aquarius Reef Base paled in comparison. Although 40 years older, this base also sat comfortably on the ocean floor 100 meters below the surface. While the Aquarius Reef Base would be placed close to land in the Key Lagos, this base was further out. This secret base built in the 1940s was considered the final evolution in marine biology and so appropriately was given the name of the aquatic and final star sign, the Pisces Reef Base. Speaking of, Jack Olson arrived at the base in Florida during March 1946, the month of Pisces. He would spend just over three months there without Maggie. This marvelous underwater prison could fit 10 people uncomfortably below the surface of the water. The Pisces Reef Base was a long cylindrical underwater metal tube 26 meters long six meters wide and three meters tall. The Pisces base had two bathrooms, 10 bunk beds, a galley with dehydrated food packs, and Jack. Now Jack was no fool. He had already worked out a couple of pertinent details about the project. Firstly, this job was obviously not conducted by the Atlantic Telegraph Company that had supposedly hired him. That first part was so easy to work out that it almost seemed like a test. Upon receiving the job, Jack immediately called up some friends who still had connections to the National War Labor Board. The Atlantic Telegraph Company had ceased its operations in 1870. Jack then double-checked to see if the company had sold its assets or restarted under a new name. Nothing. Okay, okay. The second big clue was the location. Pisces Reef Base was in the most southern part of Florida you could go while still being in Florida. Now the boat operator had been careful to make sure that Jack was ferried in under the darkness of night. But Jack noticed an odd, large and flat landmass on his way in. This landmass had ornate brickwork surrounding the entire thing. So, it had to be the Dry Tortugas National Park. This island was a natural island used mainly for research that forbids non-government vessels from docking on it. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So I'm working for the government, Jack thought. But they don't want me to know that they're the government. Who else but the military would do that? So... 
Which branch? In the mess of post-World War II America, there were more government departments that FDR had created than the average citizen could count. Well, it's definitely not the Air Force. A betting man would say, the Navy. But which division? While underwater at the Pisces Reef Base, Jack would look out of the north porthole and see the most beautiful assortment of red, blue and green echinoderms, colourful fish and reptiles. And all these creatures would come and say hello to the lonely Jack, pressing themselves right up against the glass. Jack never wanted to look out of the south porthole. The unknown Navy division that had built the base had intentionally chosen the location to be right on the edge of the 1.5 kilometer drop to the continental ocean floor. A terrifying ocean moor opened wide in deep black and blue, waiting to swallow the insignificant tin can daring to stand on its edge. Jack wasn't too lonely, though. Throughout his time at Pisces, there were three other people there. The base's technician, Charles Manderley, who would deliver the food, conduct maintenance on the vessel, and play checkers with Jack. Then there was Percy Buckle, who everyone called Crimson. Like most idiots, there was seemingly no reason as to how he had gotten such a benign nickname. And even if there was a reason, the capacity within his head was too full to make room to remember the actual story. Now, Jack barely suffered the company of geniuses, and so an idiot like Crimson was a grating experience, to say the least. Particularly because he seemed to have no appreciation of the spectacular environment he was in. He seemed to have absolutely no reason to be there, and no idea what he was doing half the time. Jack had been keeping a diary throughout his time there, and he had a single, solitary description for the idiot sailor. I've never seen such consistency. The ability to make such profoundly unremarkable commentary across such a broad range of topics is a talent in and of itself. Surrounded by the world's most exotic fish and sea creatures, with gigantic portholes to spy on them to his heart's content, Crimson seemed more content to loudly recall about a number of fights he'd gotten into at various postings offshore as a sailor. That was when the fourth occupant wasn't there. Desmond Lynch. He must have been military as well. You can tell by the way they use language. Every sentence makes a beeline for the point, never stopping at any point during the journey for flowery metaphors or speculation. When Desmond Lynch was there, Crimson shut up quick smart. His inane, rambling stories coincidentally found themselves wrapping up within a few sentences. Jack would spend most of his time hidden in the Pisces Reef base, designing his submersible. As expected, he'd surface every so often and return to the Dry Tortugas, where he would give an itinerary of materials and inspect the build. It stood as hands down the most unusual R&D process Jack had ever done. All the players came together like an old spy movie. 
the engineer, the builders, and Desmond Lynch, the benefactor, watching Jack Olson with the most careful, discerning eye. They would meet in this abandoned place, rolling out the vehicle, putting it together, and by daybreak they would roll it back into the old brick fort, and then scurry away like rats, hiding from the watchful eye of the sun. Other than that, Crimson, Charles Mandley and Desmond Lynch were rarely to be found in the Pisces base. Not that it mattered. Jack had openly said to Maggie that the bathysphere was a piece of garbage. And Jack felt that his pride would be just a little bit less wounded if he knew that there were only three other people on the planet that knew he had used it as a blueprint for the new submersible design. Once again, Jack had no idea why he had to be trained for three months underwater when the job would take a couple of days at most. But with what this group were paying him, he wasn't going to ask questions. Well, that's half the truth. Jack wasn't going to ask questions because it was very clear they weren't the type to appreciate questions being asked. On March 20, 1946... Something odd happened. Jack was alone in the Pisces Reef base, looking out of the north porthole. A loggerhead turtle waved hello at him, then left. Mandalay was on his off period, and Jack could not care less where Crimson was. Lynch was the only one who didn't let Jack know his Pisces Reef base schedule, but Jack had a sixth sense for when Lynch was around anyway, and he knew he wasn't on the vessel. Out of options and bored, Jack turned to face the south porthole. Instantly, he got a deep, overwhelming sense of unease. The blues and the blacks of the unending 1.5-kilometer drop began to mold together like an expressionist painting in the dark. Jack had been staring straight ahead until his eyes began to blur in a hypnotic state. Suddenly, a bird began to sink in the middle of the water. The pink and white of the single spoonbill stood out against the blue. Then, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of coloured birds, all falling, falling into the ocean. Storks, ibises, heron, even a bald eagle. Some still alive, flapping wildly, in painful choked death throes, unable to control being pulled deeper, deep into the ocean. They sank as easily as rain falls to the ground in a thunderstorm. Jack bolted out of his seat, rising to see how far the nearly 1,000 birds were sinking. Some of them were still contorting as they sank hundreds of meters down before they disappeared out of sight into the ominous black mystery of the continental shelf. He felt trapped in this tiny little metal box. And that was before the ocean floor began to shake slightly. This slight bump sent books, beakers, and the checkers board crashing down to the floor. Jack fell over, his face landing on the south porthole. 
Without a moment's hesitation, he ran eastward towards the moon pool and the escape. When he got there, he saw that his fitted scuba gear outfit was no longer hanging on the rack. It seemed that Jack was going to be staying at the Pisces Reef base. You've just listened to episode 4 of the Sulfuric Secrets. We'll be returning to Jack and Pisces Reef Base soon. I can only hope that Jack is okay in the meantime. If you liked this episode, please be sure to support the project through the Between Two Worlds Patreon. This is a real passion project, and all amounts help. Make sure to comment on, like, and recommend the Sulfuric Secrets to people who might like it. I'd love to hear your feedback on the project and any theories you might have. Finally, be sure to visit the YouTube page as the video version of the Sulfuric Secrets is posted on Wednesdays. Here you'll find an edited video version that hopefully helps to build a richer visual world of the Sulfuric Secrets. Until then, thank you and good night.